You are listening to the Tom Eliff Podcast. Tom Eliff pastored for 42 years and was also the president of the International Mission Board and the Southern Baptist Convention. He is the founder of Living Word Publications. Now, here is Tom Eliff. I tell you, you know, sometimes a song will leave you with such an impact that you don't feel like clapping and you shouldn't. When you think about the fact that although sin has left a crimson stain, the Lord Jesus, by his precious blood, has made it white as snow. And dear friend, I pray this morning that you are one of those who can make the claim that the Lord Jesus has come into your life and forgiven you of all of your sins and given you his wonderful gift of abundant life and more than that, given you the wonderful gift of eternal life. I wonder if you can say that this morning, that beyond any shadow of a doubt, you know you have God's free gift of eternal life. If you were to die or if Jesus were to come today, you would spend your eternity with him. Every place I go, I meet people who cannot make that claim. They wish they could, they want to, they hope they can. Some people just guess that they'd go to heaven if they died. But my friend, I want you to know the scripture says you can know that you have God's gift of eternal life. And when you possess God's free gift of eternal life, then you can be classified among those people referred to in the 23rd Psalm as the sheep of the Lord. You become a part of his flock. The Bible says we, that is those who have trusted in Jesus as their Savior, are the sheep of his pasture. But you know what? Sometimes God's sheep become tremendously fraught with care and worry. It's interesting, isn't it? That although we read in the early verses of this 23rd Psalm about all the care of the shepherd for his sheep, did you know Sometimes sheep find it very hard to be still. They become exceedingly restless. In fact, if the shepherd doesn't know what's happening, sometimes he wonders a little bit, why when I've done everything I need to do for these sheep? Why, here we are, we're in green pasture. Here, over here is this still water which I have prepared for them. We have come from the valley of the shadow of death up to this mesa, this tableland, where these sheep are to eat. Why, I have my staff in my hand in order to keep the sheep together. I have the rod to fight off the predators, and there are no predators around. Why are these sheep so restless? Why are they so filled with anxiety? Did you know that in spite of all the preparation which a shepherd can make for his sheep, there is one thing that he does not have to deal with until it shows up? And as a matter of fact, he never quite knows when this difficulty will show up. Did you know that up there on that high tableland in the, in the summertime in the mountains, did you know that sheep can be grazing so peacefully, so contentedly, they can just be getting fat on that nourishment from the ground and the wonderful clear still water, and suddenly they'll become restless, suddenly they'll become anxious, sometimes they will literally bolt and run from for the woods because there in that mesa land, suddenly there'll be a swarm of flies that just come in upon the sheep. And this morning, I want to direct your attention to that passage in the 23rd Psalm that shares with us God's wonderful solution for his worried sheep. I was visiting with someone not long ago who made an interesting observation. 
This man said, Brother Tom, I'm with people who, a lot, who are having a good time. He said, my business is helping people to have a good time. He's in the recreation business. And he said, the folks that are all around all have these smiles on their faces and they're trying their best to have a good time. But he said, I've noticed something recently. He said, it doesn't take a very wise or perceptive person to look into the eyes of those people, even though they have those big smiles on their face and are all caught up in this particular recreational activity. He said, the people I am working with these days are people who are tremendously burdened with the worries of this life. And we talked about that for a little bit, and he said, you know, I've never seen it like this before. He said, I don't care who it is. He said, if you'll talk with them very long and at least show them that you have an interest in your, their life, they will open up their heart and tell you about all the things that are causing them to worry. Sometimes they'll tell you about their family problems. In fact, he said, men that I've known for just a few moments will open up their heart and tell me about their family problems. Other times they'll tell you about the financial problems. He said, in fact, many of the people who frequent this place are people who have a good deal of money. That's why they're here. And he said, you know, they have wrinkles on their foreheads because they, they, they scarcely keep from furrowing their brow. Even, he said, as they are enjoying this recreation, he said, they're so worried. They're so concerned. An economic advisor has said that one of the primary motivating factors in overspending on credit cards is worry, fretfulness. In fact, he went on to say that it, is, uh, it works in reverse. He said what happens is that people get their bills, they realize they have scarcely enough money to pay the bills which they have on the table, and seeking to assuage the worry which they are experiencing, they will actually go out and become even further indebted, hoping that what they buy this time will at least make them feel good while they're going bankrupt. He said, it's a strange thing, but now we find a reckless abandon in terms of using credit cards, and he said, it's because we live in a worried generation. Sociologists tell us that because people are in almost a frantic, frenetic search to have a good time, that this is an indication not that we have a lot of leisure time, but that the people of our generation are looking for anything to help them forget what their problems are. Someone else has said that we don't like to be quiet any longer as a nation. We don't know how to spend time alone anymore. In fact, most people who, when they uh, get alone, actually are not really alone. They'll walk in the house, they'll say, great, I've got some time alone. They'll flip on the television, or they'll turn on the radio, or they'll push in a cassette. You say, what's wrong with good music, or what's wrong with listening to the radio or watching television? Nothing in itself, but my friend, sometime you need some time alone with your thoughts and with the Lord God. But he said, you know what? People don't like to do that anymore. We've lost that art of being alone and meditating on the things of God because when we're alone we have to think about all the burdens of our life. I've talked to high school students who were as worried as their parents about the issues of this generation. 
They can read the newspaper. They hear the news. And on top of all the things they worry about in all the world, they also are worrying about how they're going to get along with their friends or whether they're going to fit into the class and how it's going to be this year and what's going at home and whether mom and dad are going to be married 10 or 15 years from now. All of these worries. This is a worried generation. Well, I want to speak to those of you who can say this morning, quite honestly, I am one of the Lord's sheep. And I want to share with you God's wonderful solution for his worried sheep. There are three things you can do. In fact, three things you must do if you are one of God's worried sheep. And so with your Bible open to the 23rd Psalm, let's look at God's wonderful solution for his worried sheep. Now here's the first thing you must do. And if you do not in some fashion walk through this following exercise, my friend, you will go to your grave as a worried person. You'll be one of those uh, sad individuals who will say, never was my life free from worry. When I think about all the things that are mounting up over me, I never got free from the worry of those things. And they will literally take you or at least follow you all the way to the grave. What must you do? Well, first of all, you must acknowledge the worries of the sheep which afflict you. Let me say it again. You must acknowledge the worries of the sheep which afflict you. Now, listen. Sheep are particularly vulnerable to infection. And there is a particular portion of their body which is more vulnerable to infection than any other, and that is their head. Now, remember, the Scripture here says, Thou anointest my head with oil. And here is how the head of a sheep can become so infected that it will literally drive a sheep crazy. What happens quite simply is that a sheep will wound its head sometimes. Maybe there's a scratch or a cut. But more often than not, what happens is that while that sheep is out there grazing in that pasture, the wind will shift, and a great horde of flies, such as you'll see up in the mountains sometimes, will come sweeping down across that, that tableland, that mesa where the sheep are grazing. I remember some years ago, my family and I pulled up beside a beautiful lake over in Africa, it was a place called Lake Malimi, and uh, we were going to have a picnic together as a family. And so we stopped the combi, we opened up the backside of it, we pulled out all of the food, and we began to have this picnic. And all of a sudden, I don't know where they came from, but we were literally infested with stinging flies. Not just your usual house fly, you know, but by hundreds, thousands of stinging flies. I wish I had a movie of my family at that time. We all bailed into that combi, yanked the food in, rolled up the window. They were buzzing around inside the combi, and we drove off as fast as we could. Well, can you imagine an entire flock of sheep, and all of a sudden, these flies will come in upon them. Now, these flies do more than just sting the sheep. That's fretful. That, that is aggravating. They'll literally sting the sheep. But these flies also will lay larvae, lay their eggs into the open wounds or any place on the sheep where there's moisture, such as its mouth or in the cavities of its nose or ears. And these larvae will literally begin to burrow their way into the skin. And ultimately, that sheep will have such pain in its head that it will literally run off. Now, to get rid of the flies, it'll start stamping 
stamping and moving its head and running. It'll break for the brush. It'll go in among the trees. Sheep have been known to literally kill themselves trying to get away from these flies because they know that these flies literally are death dealing. In the end, they can become so infected from these flies that they die. Now, when the shepherd anoints the head of the sheep with oil, he is doing it primarily to deal with that kind of problem. Now, let me just classify the kind of worries which afflict you as we think together about that experience of the sheep. First of all, there are those worries in your life which I want to call distracting worries. Just like gnats or mosquitoes buzzing around you incessantly, there are distracting worries. I remember a lady saying to me one time, Brother Tom, I think I'm, gonna ha I think I'm just going to have an emotional collapse. And I said, well, now, what, what, what's the problem? She said, I try to be quiet and to sort through my problems, but here's what she said. Brother Tom, I've got a thousand and one things on my mind. See, those distracting words. I've got a thousand and one things on my mind. She said, I'll begin thinking about one thing, and it won't be very long till I'm thinking about something else. And she said, I literally have not slept for two or three nights, which, by the way, that will cause a person to have an emotional collapse in itself, just the lack of sleep. She said, I will lay down, and my mind will just race. And she said, one of the things I begin worrying about is, is am I going to have an emotional collapse? She said, I've got thousands of things on me. Well, now, I know Probably she didn't have a thousand and one things on her mind. But you know what she's saying? She's saying, my mind is filled with little bothersome, pesky little issues that are not solved, and I don't know that they're ever going to be solved. They are bringing distraction to my life. That's the first kind of worry which you have in your life. There's a second kind of worry which I want to call a disabling worry. A disabling worry. Here is someone who will say, for instance... You know, because of what's happened to me, my life will be, never be the same again. I remember visiting with a man whose family had broken apart. And he was explain, explained to me why he was in some of the trouble that he was in financially and morally. And I said, you know, you, you can ex experience the grace of God and your life can be put back together. He said to me, no. He said, my life will never be the same again. You know what he's saying? He's saying, in essence, I'm like an individual who's had an amputation or I'm like an individual who has received a severely disabling wound and from this moment on, my life will never be the same again. He was real excited when I told him that while he couldn't undo the past by the grace of God, from this moment on till Jesus came or he died, he could do and be everything God wanted him to do and be from that moment on. But what was he saying? He was saying, I have a disability. Oh, it may not be a physical disability, but I have had some events happen to me which have disabled me, and I can't ever be as good. I can't ever be as useful. I can't ever be again a happy joyful person I have been disabled I have been wounded so there are disabling worries and some of you are going through that right now you're saying if this happens to me my life won't be worth living if this happens to me I'll never be the same again I'll lose my ministry I will lose my usefulness I will lose everything that makes life worthwhile so there's distracting kind of worries disabling worries but there's another kind of worry and that's what I would call a deadly worry a deadly worry you see, there are those flies which swarm and distract. There are those flies which lay the larva 
in those open wounds or in the moist areas of that sheep's head which will disable the sheep but then there are those experiences that are deadly and some of you have what I would call deadly concern deadly worry you're worried about things which in essence here's the way you would put it if this happens I will be ruined. If it happens, I'll be ruined. If I experience financial calamity, I'm ruined. If this occurs in my family, I am ruined. I am a ruined man. I mean, I might as well go off in a corner someplace and just die. I will be ruined. It will wipe me out. It will do away with everything that is worthwhile to me. It is all over. There'll be no reason for me to go on living on the face of the earth. And some of you have those deadly kind of worries in your life because these flies, when those larvae begin to infest that sheep that sheep will begin to shake his head sometime that sheep will run off into the woods and literally bang its head against a tree because it, of the tremendous swelling and infection in his head and sheep have been known literally to kill themselves in an attempt to relieve the pain in their head. And some of you right now are doing things which are killing you. They are killing you morally. They are killing you physically. They are killing you financially. It's just that you are bent on doing anything you can to solve your problem. And, and without any thought, with just reckless abandon, you are in fact creating more problems for yourself. Deadly worries. And if you want to be relieved of worries, you must acknowledge the worries of the sheep which afflict you. But now let's move on for just a moment. You must also appreciate the ways of the shepherd who attends you. You must appreciate the ways of the shepherd who attends you. And my friend, when I show you how Jesus as our good shepherd will deal with the worries which afflict you, you will want to rise up and call him blessed. You will want to say, I am so in love with Jesus. If you can say quite honestly, he is my shepherd, my friend, when this service is over, you cannot help but be in love with Jesus. When you see the ways of the shepherd who attends you and when you appreciate them. So let's appreciate the ways of the shepherd who attends us. Notice what it says. Thou anointest my head with oil. Now, there are three things which the shepherd does, and let's look at them really quickly. First of all, he perceives your situation. Now, get the picture. Here's a shepherd. Perhaps he is seated on a grassy knoll just watching the sheep graze. They're contented. I mean, everything they need is there. There are no predators out in the rim rock. The water is crystal clear and the sheep, the shepherd has prepared this deep water spot for them. He's gone in the field. He has prepared a table before them, that mesa land. He has prepared that mesa land, pulled up all of the vegetation which would be poisonous as we talked about last week. All those things which would absolutely be deadly for the sheep. He's prepared that table. And so he's just watching his sheep and they're so contented. And suddenly, as that shepherd keeps his eyes on those sheep, he perceives that something is wrong. They begin to come on the alert. They begin to get restless. They begin to get nervous. They are worried sheep. But I want to tell you something. The shepherd knows the situation. He knows that because of the shift in the wind, the flies have come down among the sheep. There's no other reason for them to be worried. And listen, friend, 
the shepherd, the Lord Jesus, perceives your situation. He has his eyes glued to you right now. When I was a young boy, my father took me out on my grandfather's farm and said, I'm going to teach you how to drive a car. I had been begging him insistently. And I said, I know it's going to be, you know, year. He said, you're not going to drive here, you're not going to drive there. He said, when we get down to the farm, he said, I'm going to teach you how to drive this car. And I can remember, in fact, I look back with a great deal of, uh, of humor and amusement at that initial lesson which my father gave me, driving that car. And I remember when we got out there and that car got in gear and began to jerk and yank and bolt forward, even on the farm, I mean, with this vast open territory, I got scared. But you know what happened? My, I, I, w without even realizing, I, I noticed that there was another hand on that steering wheel, and noticing this, there was another foot on top of my feet. You know what happened? My dad, he saw exactly what was happening. And from that moment on, that driving lesson, I was so comforted because I realized that no matter, I didn't know what was, what, how to do this, but there was someone there watching who was in absolute control. Now, friend, let me tell you something. These sheep who are out in this pasture, when they begin to get worried, when they begin to get fretful, the shepherd perceives their situation. He knows how to deal with it. And your heavenly Father knows exactly how to deal with your situation. It has not caught him by surprise. It did not sneak up on him. He perceives your situation. Now, notice the second thing that he does. He prepares your salve, S-A-L-V-E, your salve. You say, salve. What do you mean, salve? All right, here's what the scripture says. Thou anointest my head with oil. Now, if you look at that word oil in the original language of the scripture, it refers more to a thick, greasy-like substance. Now, here's what's very interesting. The shepherd prepares the salve before the sheep ever leave the lowlands and make their trip to the mountains. The shepherd already has it with it. Generally, it is a concoction which has oil in it and sulfur and uh, perhaps some other medication in it, but he has put that together before he ever set out to take his sheep into the highland. Now, there's a beautiful picture here because what it means quite simply is that God has already put together everything you need to solve every problem you have. It is already put together. It is prepared. By the way, when is it prepared? Does the shepherd say, oh, the sheep, they're being infested with flies. These could be deadly. This could damage the entire flock. I've got to figure out what to do. Whatever am I going to do? Well, maybe I can try this. No, that won't work. Let's see. Maybe, maybe I could take them. Maybe I could do this. Why, what, a, what an unusual picture of a shepherd that would be. Well, that certainly wouldn't be a good shepherd. That would be a bad shepherd carrying a sheep from place to place in some frantic search for a position and a place that would be perfect, that wouldn't give the portrayal that the Scripture tells us uh, is of the shepherds at all. So what does he do? In advance, anticipating that the sheep are going to be assaulted by these flies, he prepares a salve, a salve which is obnoxious to flies, 
a salve which is soothing to the skin of the sheep. He prepares the salve. And then here's the third thing he does. He proceeds with the solution. He proceeds with the solution. Now, now here's what I'm saying. The shepherd does not ask the sheep's permission to solve their problem. And the Lord Jesus, if you belong to him, you are serving a sovereign Lord. Now listen, friend, he is not going to ask for your permission to solve your problem. He is proceeding with the solution. Some of you all think you're going through, you say, man, I cannot believe what God's putting me through. You know what he's doing? He's solving your problem. Now, it may look like the beginning chapters are written by the devil, but the end is always written by the Lord. So what does the shepherd do? Why, against the struggling of the sheep who wonder, why is this guy waiting out in the middle? I'm trying to get away from these flies. And he grabs him up off of the ground. And he begins to apply this ointment, this salve to those sheep. Why, the shepherd proceeds with the solution. He proceeds with the solution. Now, here's what I'm saying. You know all those things that worry you? Your distracting worries, your disabling worries, your deadly worries. Now this is gonna make you wanna fall in love all over again with Jesus. Guess what? Your good shepherd is already solving your problems. He's not asking your permission. He is at work. The answer is already prepared. He is at work solving your problem, dear friend. He's at work. I remember some years ago talking with a secretary and saying to her, you know, with your children, married as you are, and with all the circumstances in your life as you are, I, I really, you know, I love you and I want God's best for you, but don't you think you would be better off at home with your children? And she said, you know, Brother Tom, I'd love to do that, but we can't afford to live at home. I mean, there's no way we can afford to live at home. And we studied the Scripture together, and I showed her some Bible principles, and, and she said, but it just will not work. There is no way. Well, after a period of several weeks, she became deeply convicted that this was the thing she ought to do. And so one day she came to me and she said, uh, I, I'm going to resign. And, uh, and I said, well, I, this is a bittersweet thing for me. I, I'm going to really miss you, but I know you are opting for God's best. And then she said this. She said, Brother Tom, if this doesn't work, I'm going to be right back here before the day's over. And I said, well, all right, we'll just see. And she walked out the door. Two o'clock in the afternoon, she came back to the church office, and I thought, oh, this is terrible. It's failed. And she came in, she said, had a big smile on her face. She said, you know what, Brother Tom? She said, when I got home, I opened up my mailbox, pulled out a letter from my husband's company, giving him a raise equal to more than my salary. And she said, that was already in the mail. I said, yeah, but it wouldn't have been. You know what was happening? The shepherd had prepared the solution for her. He had done it without her permission. He had been at work solving her problem. He had proceeded with the solution without ever asking her. Now, dear friend, let me say it again. You must appreciate the ways of the shepherd who attends you. And then finally, I want you to look at one thing which is so very important. In fact, if you eliminate this, you have eliminated your solution. You see, you can, you can acknowledge the worries of the sheep which afflict you, and you can appreciate the ways of the shepherd who attends you 
Without doing this last, however, you will walk out of this building and walk right through your life as worried as you are right now. Whether you're a teenager or an adult or a child, you will carry those same or worse worries with you right through your life. Now, what must you do? Well, you must accept the work of the Spirit who anoints you. Let me say it again. You must accept the work of the Spirit who anoints you. My friend, let God's Holy Spirit do everything He wants to do in your life. I mean, just say to Him, I totally abandon myself to you, Holy Spirit. I want you to perform whatever work you desire in my life. You must accept the work of the Spirit who anoints you. Thou anointest my head with oil. I don't think it's any strange uh, fact to anyone who's read the Bible consistently at all that oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit is a person, but this is a picture of what that person does. Thou anointest my head with oil. You see, the Lord's answer... For the worries of the sheep which afflict you is to anoint your head with oil. That is to immerse you, to place up on you the Holy Spirit who will begin to work in you solving your problem. Now, friend, you can't have that without knowing Jesus as your Savior. And one of the reasons that some of you, no matter how you've gone to church, just as our dear brother said here a few moments ago, he said, man, I was baptized three times. But that didn't solve the problem. And some of you all have tried religion. You've tried everything else to solve your worries. And your worries are still something you are carrying right around with you. You cannot seem to get shed of them. It, it, it makes no difference how many wonderful Christian courses you go to about how to think positively and do the right things and to cheer up and to think on things that are holy and just and pure. No matter how much rigmarole and intellectual and emotional gymnastics you go through, you still seem to carry your worries along. Well, my friend, if you have never truly transferred your trust to Jesus and Jesus alone, you cannot lay claim to this, but if you have, then you must accept the work of the Spirit who anoints you. Now, what will the Holy Spirit do for you in regard to your worries? Three words describe His work. Here is the first word. He will soothe you. He will soothe you. Now, here's, get the picture if you will. The sheep are absolutely panic-stricken. There are the flies, the sheep are restless, they're getting ready to bolt. And the shepherd moves among them. And you know what? The sheep even resist the work of the shepherd. The shepherd literally wrestles them to the ground, gathers them up into his arms, holds them tightly, one at a time, takes that balm, that salve, and begins to rub it on the head of that sheep. And initially, that sheep even resists the salve. But suddenly, when that shepherd puts that salve there where there's been a wound or a bite, that sheep realizes, hey, that feels pretty good. Wait a minute. I need to let this happen. Hey, my problems are over. Just in the last few days, I was visiting with a dear Christian friend who said, I have been almost panic-stricken because I felt like some things were about to happen that were going to ruin me. And then that dear friend said this, I realized how long it had been since I simply knelt and spent hours before the Lord. And this friend said, when I knelt, it seemed that the moment my knees 
hit the ground. I felt God just soothing my jangled nerves. Now, if you'll let the Holy Spirit do his work in your life, he will soothe you. Here's the second thing he will do. He will settle you. He will settle you. As that shepherd works on the head of that sheep, suddenly that sheep becomes very still. It's almost like you nursery ladies would, would say when you have a little baby that's just crying his head off and you can't seem to quiet it. What do you do? You go over there and you place that baby on a blanket. You wrap that baby up pretty snug and you hold that baby right up to you. And that child may resist for just a few moments, but minutes later he is asleep. He's settled. He's settled. And so the Holy Spirit not only will soothe your nerves, he will settle you down. All of a sudden you say, hey, wait a minute, there is a way to deal with this. There are ways out. God's in charge here. I don't need to panic. Well, I have the word of God, and the Bible says, forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Why, if the word of God is settled and he has a word for me, then I'll just settle down in the word of God. I'm settled. Not long ago, someone said, Preacher, as I begin reading the Scripture, I begin to realize God has answers for every problem I have. And if I'll just settle down the Word, He'll settle my heart. He'll settle you. Third thing, He solves your problem. Not salves. Oh, with the salve of the Holy Spirit, He solves your problems. You know what's happening? The sheep doesn't know all the biochemical processes that are, that are taking place, but that... That balm, that salve, long after the shepherd applies it to the sheep, is still doing its work. Even if the sheep gets up, I mean, the flies now find that sheep to be very noxious, odored. He doesn't want to be around it. The flies leave. But not only that, that salve begins to heal, begins to solve the problem of the sheep. Dear friend, let me tell you something. If you can say beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know I'm one of the Lord's sheep. There was that day in my life. It was the biggest day of all eternity for me. It was the day I transferred my trust to Jesus only. I am one of the shepherd's sheep, and yet you're still, in spite of all the shepherd has done, afflicted by worries which distract or disable or bring death to you. My friend, just appreciate what the shepherd will do for you. Why, he sees your problem, he perceives it, he has prepared a solution, and he is proceeding with that solution. What is it? It is the work of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. And if you will simply rest in the Lord, he will soothe you and settle you and solve your problems. And I cannot tell you how many people would say, you know, when I finally got quiet in the Lord, I realize he had been working all the time to conform me to his image. And some of you have been working for months, some of you for years, some of you for longer than you can remember to solve your problem. I know a man right now who has been working on a deal that is supposed to solve all of his problems. He has been working on that deal for over 20 Two years, it is virtually driving him up a wall. And I want to say to him, dear friend, dear friend, why not accept the work of the Spirit who anoints you? Receive that soothing, settling, solving ministry of the Spirit of God 
by placing your trust in Jesus as Savior and as Lord. Oh, friend, that's God's wonderful words for his worried sheep. Would you bow your head? Heads are bowed, eyes are closed, all of this auditorium. Let me ask this question. Are you one of God's sheep? Can you say, I know I am one of God's sheep? I know beyond any shadow of a doubt, if I were to die, I would spend my eternity in heaven. Now, dear friend, we've come to invitation time. In a few moments, I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand. Counselors will be here at this altar. Some people are already coming to make their decision for Christ. If God's spoken to your heart, you just come on right now. But my friend, this invitation is for those of you who would say, my problem is that I am not one of the Lord's sheep. I saw these people this morning being baptized saying, I've made that decision. I've chosen Jesus as my Savior. I want the world to know. I thought, you know, I wonder if it's settled in my heart. So this morning, your heart's desire is to trust in Jesus as your Savior, to become one of the Lord's sheep. I wonder how many this morning by the uplifted hand could say, Brother Tom, without any question, beyond any shadow of a doubt, I know I belong to the Lord. I know that I have his gift of eternal life. Would you raise your hand way up high all over the auditorium? What a beautiful sight. Thank you. Put them down. You know what? Not everybody could honestly raise their hand. Some of you just simply had too much integrity to do it. Others perhaps would say, well, I raised mine, but I don't know it for a fact. I just didn't want, even with heads bowed, I didn't want to be unusual. But the truth of the matter is I don't have it solved. My friend, for those of you who would not or could not raise your hand honestly, this morning let me issue this invitation to you. You don't have to leave here without God's gift of eternal life. This could be the biggest, the red letter day, the most important day of all of your eternity. You say how? By trusting in Jesus alone. Now, it means something different than what you've done. It means something different than being religious. It means something different than simply accepting the facts about Jesus as they're given in the Bible. It means trusting in him and what Jesus did on the cross for you because you see the wages of sin is death. And since all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God, all of us must pay the wages of sin, which is death. Or we must receive Christ's payment. Or you see, while the Bible says the wages of sin is death, the Bible also says the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because Christ also once suffered for sin, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive with the Spirit. This is your invitation this morning to receive as your personal Savior, as the Lord of your life, Jesus Christ and his gift of eternal life. Now, I know you couldn't have anything against abundant life and eternal life and forgiveness and cleansing of sin. You may have something against some Christians you know. This is your invitation to accept a Jesus whom you've, you've known about but have never known personally. And I want to challenge you. Make this day the greatest day of your eternity. The moment we stand in a few moments, the moment the choir begins singing, dear friend, just step to the aisle. Make your way forward. Come find one of these counselors at this altar. And when you take their hand, say something just this simple. I want to trust in Jesus. I want to trust in Jesus. They'll go with you to a quiet counseling area in just a matter of moments. You can know that you have God's gift of eternal life. They'll pray with you and give you some information which will speed you on your way. But my friend, the devil will do everything. He'll use anybody, anything he can to keep you from making that decision this morning. I challenge you. 
The moment we stand, come make that decision. Now, there are others who need to make other decisions. That's true. There are some families here that need to join, some individuals who need to join this church, others who need to openly confess Christ through the symbol of baptism, still others of the Lord's worried sheep who should come to this altar and say, Dear Lord, I appreciate the ways the shepherd who attends me, and right now at this altar, I'm accepting the work of your Spirit who anoints me this morning to soothe and settle and solve my worries. Oh, dear friend, this is your invitation. Other people are already coming. I'm going to pray. We're going to stand. The choir is going to sing the hymn of invitation. Make this moment a victory moment for you. I challenge you to say yes to Jesus this morning. Father in heaven, how I pray this morning that any spirit of unbelief, any spirit of disbelief or indifference or cowardice would be bound up. I pray it in the name of Jesus by the authority of your word because Jesus shed his blood on the cross of Calvary. We know we can pray in that fashion for you have gained the victory, Lord Jesus. Now make it real in the hearts of many people this morning. Loose upon us a spirit of faith and conviction. And Father, I pray there would be people who would deliberately, decisively make this the most important day of their eternity. And I pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Let's stand together. The choir is singing. Some have already come. You just join them right now. I'm saying yes. College students.